0: Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Welcome again to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the podcast. I am Brad Myers, the adult ministries pa- pastor at Faith Bible Church, and uh, this week I'm joined again by your standard voice on the podcast, Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Uh, welcome for another week in the podcast, Tom.
1: Thank you, Brad. It's good to uh, join you again from uh, South Street. <laughs> someday we'll be there back you. at the brick house.
0: <laughs> this is this is becoming normal, I think. But we'll look forward to being able to sit across yeah. the table from each other at some point in the future and continue these conversations. Um, this, this week, I'd like to start out just by jumping back into our Route 66 sermon series. Tom, you've been working from Genesis through Revelation. Uh, this last week you were in 1 Kings 19, verse 19 through 21 and 2 Kings 2, um, talking about the successor the successor to Elijah, uh, the prophet Elisha. Um, so from your message on Sunday, what, what did we learn about God? Well,
1: I think we see this repeated theme where God is declaring himself to be the living God, the sovereign God, the powerful God. And uh, I think it was reinforced in Elijah, but I I see Elisha uh, almost as uh, to the nation of Israel, what Moses was in Egypt, uh, just making that declaration. Your God is the sovereign living God in Contrast to the dead gods of the nations around them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what about what about mankind? What did uh, Elisha's story reveal about ourselves?
1: Well, I, I think the thing that that just kind of jumped out. It's been there over and over, but it's really that man is by nature a user. Uh, he he's desirous of the gifts, especially because we're into the season of miracles with Elijah and Elisha, uh, that man was more than delighted to receive the gift of the miracles, but he was more interested in that in the giver of the gift. So uh, his self-focused, self-serving attitudes.
0: Hmm. It almost it makes you think of the story of, of Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus tells, yep. Yep. Uh, where Lazarus asks him to go back and tell his brothers about the situation. And he says, they have the they have the law and the prophets. Even if someone were to, uh, to come back and tell it to them uh, themselves, they wouldn't believe. Yeah. So you get these amazing miracles in the life of Elijah and Elisha, and you'd think surely that would be convincing enough uh, for them to believe. But yeah, unfortunate that the the reality of our hearts is that we uh, we have a, a heart deception.
1: Yeah, I think it was, we don't
0: see the world correctly.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's a, a huge one in that a, a miracle doesn't convert a sinner uh, unless god removes the veil on the heart softens the hardened heart all the all the jaw dropping signs and wonders they witness are not going to bring them to their knees before the living god only god can change the heart of a sinful man
0: yeah hey amen i think one of the better ways i've ever heard it is is we we stand in shock and awe at the the physical miracles that we see in the Bible, uh, when the greater miracle is really the Holy Spirit redeeming the heart yep. of someone that's hardened and in rebellion against God. Good reminder. Uh, finally, how how does this point us to Christ? How does the life of Elijah point us to Christ?
1: Well, there, there, there were there were three significant things that jumped out to me as I was studying it. One is the the, the king of Moab, who in desperation to pacify, as it were, his gods offered his own son the heir to his throne as an offering on the wall and by the death of that king's son the people lived and you can't help but think about christ dying on the cross and yet in in the new testament case in christ's case he was raised from the dead another one is the story of the widow with the unpayable debt but when that debt had been paid not only was they were they set free but there was sufficient for them to go on living. so you see when Christ pays our debt then he also gives us the grace to go on living for him and I thought the other one that it just wasn't time for but in in a hurry they're carrying the deceased uh, warrior and uh, to protect themselves they simply throw him into the grave, And his body lands on top of the bones of Elijah, who has been dead for quite some time. And suddenly this man comes alive and that the promise of Mm -hmm. resurrection power. So there there just seemed like there were just a number of kind of an escalating number of signs that would make us wonder, is there one coming that can satisfy
0: all these? Hmm. Yeah, good reminder, as we still have a few weeks before we'll get to the person and work of Christ in our sermon series, Um, but all signs continue to point that direction from the Old Testament. Uh, Now, Tom, uh, in addition to these major takeaways from Sunday, uh, you made a comment that I noted uh, as I was listening to the service about how Elisha's ministry included more miracles than any other period that we see in the Bible, with one exception, uh, the exception of the ministry personally of Christ. Now, now, before I move into that, out of curiosity, how, how many miracles uh, were recorded in the time of Elisha's ministry?
1: Well, it, I think if we count right, there were eight of them in Elijah's. And then Elisha said, I would like to have double, you know, the blessing. And I think there were 16 recorded in Elisha's ministry. So literally twice as many as Elijah. Yeah.
0: Fascinating. Uh, when we talk about authorial intent and, and the intent of the author writing that with that in mind, that's that's an interesting note to make. Uh, anyway, I, I'd like to explore um, that subject, the subject of miracles, just a little bit more on the podcast this week, because I think that topic um, can be a little challenging for a lot of people. Uh, to many in our culture, it's just fine to say that you believe in Jesus, uh, but the minute you begin talking about how you think he really turned water into wine and walked on water and healed people and ultimately rose from the dead well, now you're beginning to sound a little out there. Uh, you're a little extreme, a little radical. You really believe that in the Bible is the question we, we tend to face. And so um, while this isn't so much a question about how do we interpret the Bible, it does really involve some of the assumptions, interpretive assumptions and perspectives that we bring to the text of scripture. Um, and I, I ran into this quote this week from C.S. Lewis's book on miracles that I, that I thought put it pretty well. Uh, he writes in there, Uh, there is no use going to the text until we have some idea about the possibility or probability of the miraculous. Those who assume that miracles cannot happen are merely wasting time by looking into the text. We know in advance what results they will find, for they have begun by begging the question. And obviously there he's not saying that unbelievers shouldn't read the Bible. He's merely pointing to the fact that if we go to the text, assuming that there's no spiritual dimension, that it's just a naturalistic world um, that that the miraculous is impossible. Uh, we're going to reinforce our assumptions as we read the text. So, so I want to explore a little bit that theme of miracles this week. So, with with that in mind, Tom, could you get us off on on the right track? What what do we mean by a miracle, quote unquote, in the Bible?
1: Well, in the, in the Scripture, the miracles are basically God reversing uh, the order of nature or doing something that can't be explained any way other than uh, supernatural intervention. So uh, rather it's uh, using the laws of nature in reverse. I, one case in point was uh, you just don't float a steel axe head out of the bottom of a pond by holding yes. a stick over it. You know, it's just like, yes. well, wait a minute, gravity says it goes, weight says it goes into, and it doesn't. So it's just basically God stepping into the nature, to the world that he created and breaking some of those basic rules and principles that he has established. Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. Um, And then as our listeners may be aware or may not be aware, um, this subject, as far as miracles and how do we understand them and take them in the Bible, is something that's really divided liberal and conservative scholars. And just to be clear, I don't mean liberal and conservative politically. I mean those scholars that tend liberal or conservative in their understanding of Scripture. um, It's kind of divided them over the course of years uh, with biblical study. So why, why is this such a hotly debated subject? Uh, particularly on our day and age that we find ourselves?
1: Well, I I think that we are convinced that humanity is uh, capable of explaining everything, reasoning through everything, having an answer for everything. I think so. First of all, it's just, I think, um, the arrogance of man making himself almost equal to God, that there can't be anything happen out there for which I don't have an explanation or that. I think... Uh, it's also the the reality is that if I if if I acknowledged that a miracle could happen, that there might be a God out there that is making it happen, and if there is a God out there, then I might be accountable to Him. So there's that sense mm-hmm. of I, I don't want to even give uh, credence to the fact that there might be a miracle. So I don't want to deal with the fact that there might be a God before whom I am accountable.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I, I know in, in the past we've kind of discussed this idea as far as the significance of those interpretive assumptions, or you're speaking to the cultural context that we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, talking about we come out of a naturalistic worldview culture that assumes they have a grasp on everything in science yeah. um, and the way the world works. Um, so, so, really, we're talking about an interpretive assumption. Um, how does that influence this debate about how to understand the miracles of Scripture?
1: Well, as as you read the Scripture, you you go in uh, believing that it is a supernaturally inspired account of the heart, the mind. It's a a revelation of God. And uh, so as you're reading it, when you come to a miracle, rather than try to explain it away, you pause and ask yourself, uh, why is it here? Why, why did it happen at this moment in time? And what did the author intend? How how, how did that reinforce uh, his narrative or his argument or his presentation? So uh, r- rather than going in skeptically saying miracles don't happen, you go in saying, if one did and it happened here, why here? Why now? And why in this way?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's helpful to consider for people. I, it's, it's amazing to think that so often for people, um, the assumption they bring in dictates how, how they read things, how they view things. We kind of find what we want to find as, as we, as we move into it. Um, and so if we say that that's outlandish, that can't be the case. Uh, the ironic part about the situation is, you know, kind of to your point, um, both we as, um, you know, biblical readers of the text and uh, a skeptic of the text would agree that these are not normal occurrences.
1: They yeah. <laughs> yeah. just
0: agree that there's a supernatural intervention based upon the presumption that there is a God who created uh, the ordered world and can therefore step into that situation. Um, and so those to, to your point, those interpretive assumptions really lead to where we find people landing um, on yeah. reading the
1: text. And in the book of Acts, you know, he, he, he calls them signs and wonders. Um, hmm. And, you know, a sign points to something. And a wonder is the response to seeing something out of the ordinary. You know, it's that sense of he is pointing, using it to point to a person or the message, but he's also using it to arrest attention. Um, so, yeah, if, if, if we assume these things don't happen and then suddenly we're reading along and one does, Its intent is supposed to stop you in your track and go, wait a minute. (laughs) That's not natural. That's not normal. What does this point to? So uh, over and over, signs and wonders when you get to Acts and the epistles are are highlighted.
0: Hmm. Okay, so yeah, I, I want to move into that a little bit more because let's let's try and get practical for our listeners a bit. Let's let's assume we come to the text with the right assumptions, saying saying yeah, we recognize the world doesn't always work this way, but that that doesn't mean that God isn't sovereign. That doesn't mean that He can't do things like this. And in Scripture, we see that He has. So in today's age of naturalism and skepticism, where we question everything, we think we can understand everything. How are we supposed to first understand and then interpret miracles in the Bible?
1: Well, I think the first thing was we, we don't dismiss them as myths or as fables, or we don't, we don't take the liberal interpretation of that that was, a, that was an era of, of unscientific education. They, they lacked insight, understanding. They weren't as advanced in their comprehension. So they were drawing conclusions from observation. So, you know, frequently, if a resurrection takes place, well, they hadn't really died. They just didn't have the technology or the experience to Mm -hmm. know, you know, whether they just simply were unconscious or something. So I think it starts with uh, accepting the fact that these are not fables, they they are true events, Uh, they are powerful messages. And uh, we start from that perspective.
0: Hmm. And then, so assuming they are, uh, like like you're saying that these are real events that, and then we that we understand that to be the case, then interpretively, what does the um what does the presence of a miracle uh, then indicate to us as a reader?
1: Well, you know, it, it it clearly indicates that God is God is doing a special work there. But I, I think it brings you back to the to the coma thing. you know the context again, just have to look and go uh, start with the context and say what how does this set into that particular setting or into that it's ex- more extended narrative, that time of history, what what is what is it that God is doing here? Um, I, I think then you you know the observation, not try to interpret too quickly, not ask immediately what the meaning is but just kind of step back and observe its impact. How did people respond to what they saw? What was the, uh, you know, we go back to the original reader, the original here. Uh, What was the lesson that they took from it? What were they expecting? Um, So then, then you begin to move to the the meaning, you know, uh, the signs of an apostle or those signs and wonders abilities. So what this, Miracle was done by God in this context to point to something, and the, the, the understanding of that's right here in my text. How do I find that in the text I'm working on?
0: Okay, so so let's explore that then a little bit. The the primary passage you focused on on Sunday uh, was the story of you know the healing of Naaman. Yes, right. You know, and he was leprous, and he comes to a. Elisha, and he asks to be healed based upon his servant girl's testimony, and then he goes and washes in the river. Um, with that in mind, how would we walk through that? What is the significance of that miracle specifically to understanding the passage of of what Scripture is teaching us there?
1: Well, in in that one in particular, I think that he spends a great bit of time on the text, uh, telling us of what a powerful, influential man this was. Uh, that uh, a man who had actually been used by God uh, to accomplish victories as discipline of God's people uh, by a foreign power. Uh, it tells us that he had access to every resource that was available, but that he was facing a, a problem that was beyond him. Uh, then God comes in with a, with a young captive servant girl who says uh, there is a prophet. She doesn't talk about God Per se, she talks about the man of God back in her homeland and points him there. So the, the whole thing is is set up by a sense of desperation, uh, a man with an incurable disease, uh, a man with every resource available to him, including the favor of the king, and uh, it's beyond human uh, solutions. So it starts there, and I think in. Uh, the the uh, <laughs> Elisha not coming out of his front door, even meeting him on the front step. He's got this whole entourage there. He's packing $5 million worth of reward. And he doesn't even come out and honor him in that way. So again, you're, you're, in, that, you're in that narrative of God uh, exalts the humble and he brings down the proud. And so this very proud positioned man is slowly having his uh, pedestal chipped away from under him so that uh, this man of god won't even come out and talk to him personally sends a messenger and then he sends him into the jordan river when they've got these beautiful rivers back home he sends him to the muddy jordan and he asks him to humble himself by immersing himself in it so the, the whole miracle of healing is being set up by taking a great, arrogant, proud individual and bringing him to the moment of desperation and, and, uh, des- and, and dependency, uh, he, even to the extent that one of his servants had to say, my word, you traveled all the way up here and you brought money to reward him. And he gave you the answer you're looking for and you won't accept it. And so that voice finally brought him then to the water. Uh, the miracle didn't actually occur uh, in the physical until he came out of the water the seventh time but the 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 working of the miracle began as the man's proud heart was slowly being humbled and brought low i think
0: hmm yeah i think i think that's a good image to keep you know it's it's almost like what you're saying is uh, miracles in scripture almost serve as exclamation points to cause us to yep. pause and emphasize what the text has been teaching us up to that point you know i can't i can't think of you know immediately following um can't help but think of in Matthew, in Matthew 8, immediately following Jesus's discourse in the Sermon on the Mount, and kind of this inverted economy, you know, of the last being first and, and you know, building your house on the rock and kind of this, this language he uses there. And we get two miracles immediately following where yep. he he cleanses the least of these in the leper who, you know, there's a leper who is ostracized by society, and that's exactly who Jesus goes to and heals. And then he sees this incredible act of faith on the part of the centurion, you know, really just emphasizing um, his point and what he was preaching on um, in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it causes us to pause and say, the author has put this here as an exclamation point to drive home uh, with a picture in some ways, the meaning uh, that he's been trying to portray in the text already.
1: Yeah, and yeah. I think the other thing about miracles is, as you read them, especially miracles that relate to individuals, uh, they're not simply uh, moments of kindness. They're not just deeds of grace or kindness, but they, they are messages, like you said, an exclamation point. They're, they're attention-getting. They're, there's a f- spotlight placed on this because uh, so, so, so many times a miracle will occur. I mean, how many people waded across the Jordan River, you know, and hmm. their diseases weren't removed. It, so there's, it's not the muddy Jordan River. It's not the, Well, what is God doing here? Uh, he's doing an act of kindness certainly for this man, but he's converting a soul. So the man goes home, a God worshipper, a follower of the living
0: God. Hmm. Yeah, good to remember on the subject of miracles. If I if I can summarize a little bit of what we've talked about here maybe maybe there'd be two ways to err when it comes to to reading miracles in the bible the one would be to quickly begin trying to explain them away or or figure out some method of natural occurrence that would have resulted in this happening you know some coincidence if you will yeah. uh, that allowed the people to cross over uh over the red sea in that story um, don't, don't go there, read it for what it's worth. Believe what it's saying is, is actually taking place on the flip side of things. I know as biblical readers, a lot of times we can kind of gloss over miracles because there are so many examples of them in scripture. Um, and we forget to stop and marvel and wonder at the message God is trying to drive home to his people, um, by giving them a, a, a miraculous sign and wonder, you know, to, to use the term that you were, you were talking about yeah. earlier, and so in our, in our reading of Scripture, uh, let those miracles um, allow us to marvel a little bit and think about how they're driving home uh, the point of the text. Any, any final thoughts on this subject, Tom, before we hit the off-ramp on miracles?
1: Well, I, I think rather than write miracles off as uh, seasons of the scripture, we need to remember that our God is a miracle working God and that, uh, mm. that the, the God of the old Testament and the God of the days of Jesus and the God of the days of the apostles in the early church is the same God that loves us. And, uh, who we serve today, he has the same power and he's accomplishing the same purposes. So, um, do we believe he's a miracle-working God? Yeah. Uh, do we demand miracles from him? Well, again, the, the miracles that he did were, were, were more than simply deeds of kindness. They, they were attention-getting messages. And so that uh, he may still work miracles today, but it's because he is that same God is the reason.
0: Amen. Are we paying attention? It's a good question. Um, all right. Well, that's our discussion on on miracles. Uh, for those of you that are listening, I, I do hope it's been helpful. I know miracles are a discussion that, uh, that are a little confusing, a little bit challenging, especially coming out of the world that we live in. Uh, so if you have any questions on this subject, anything you'd like us to explore further, as always, shoot Tom or myself an email. We'd love to focus in on any thoughts or questions you have on this subject. Um, but let's keep moving forward, Tom, because this, this next week, you've got, um, another King of Israel, probably a less well known, uh, King of Israel than, than your first two of, of Saul, uh, David, and then Solomon or three that is. Um, so in the personal work of jo- or Usiah in, in the text, what, what are you looking forward to preaching on on Sunday?
1: Well, it's kind of interesting. It's he's kind of the unknown hero. You know, it's Mm -hmm. it's almost like a a repetition of the days of Solomon, uh, but only in Judah, not in all of Israel. But uh, you know, somebody asked me. Said, "Now, is this the guy that touched the ark?" and dropped over dead, you know? No, that was Uzzah. Okay, well, is, is, is close, this the, close is this the king <laughs> that was sitting on the toilet and got killed and, you know, fell off the toilet dead? Like, no, that was in the days of Ehud. You know? So, yeah, so first thing it would just be to put the name in front of people, but mo- mostly it's is another promising king. We see this whole series, and uh, unlike most of the kings in, that had preceded him between Solomon and him, uh, this one walked with the Lord. So uh, why, why was he recorded in there? It is also timely uh, in that it was on his death that the ministry of Isaiah was initiated. So the, the, the historic setting is significant as well.
0: Hmm. Good. Good. Well, hopefully the sermon will be illuminating and informative to those of us that are a little less familiar with the King Uzziah. Um, any interpretive questions you're wrestling with this week?
1: Well, just really asking the question, why do we see this repeated pattern of uh, you know, Saul, David, Solomon? They start well, and they stumble, and they fail. And Uzziah is another one of those. Why, why does God keep putting before us these role models of promising hope and success that suddenly disappoint in the end. So I'm grappling with how that fits into the overall narrative.
0: Mm, Very good. And finally, how can we prepare our hearts for that message?
1: Well, spoiler alert, uh, Uzziah was able to succeed at virtually everything he attempted, but he lost the ultimate battle, and that battle was with the pride of his heart. So the best way to prepare is to check your heart and ask Mm. the Lord, is there is there a pride issue in me that you need to bring low? How, how, how can you prepare my heart to let you speak to me with this message?
0: Amen. Uh, we'll look forward to both the encouragement and challenge that we hear from the life of Uzziah on Sunday. Uh, well, that's it for this week's podcast, listeners. Thanks again for joining us. Remember, if you're following along in the weekly reading, uh, King Uzziah is talked about in both Kings and Chronicles, but Tom will be focusing on Second Chronicles 26. So take the time and read that chapter if you can find a little extra time this week. And then um, I want to give you the heads up that the third quarter of the reading plans uh, will be coming out to you hopefully very soon. Uh, the current reading plan extends through the end of June, so we're working on getting you um, those bookmarks. As always, it's online; it'll be online if you want to look there, uh, but we're trying to get you some bookmarks so you can continue reading along with us uh, during our 2020 uh, Route 66 sermon series. Um, and then we're looking forward to, uh, to seeing some of you again on Sunday. If if you are interested in joining us, we'll be able to join us. Uh, don't forget to let us know ahead of time. Uh, click those links. Let us know which service you'll be joining us in. And then I, I also want to make a special announcement. Um, as, as pastors, as elders, we're getting a lot of questions about how to navigate some of the challenging times we're seeing. Uh, we've got, we've got um, challenges when it comes to how to address COVID-19. Obviously, we're aware of the racial tensions that our country is feeling right now. The political environment is different, difficult and a number of things. So um, we're working on trying to help practically address some of those questions. Um, Tom and some of the elders have been working that direction. So so keep an eye out as, as we'll be attempting uh, to trying to speak into some of those situations practically for you soon. Um, and just know, as always, as you prepare your hearts for King Uzziah uh, this Sunday, we are praying for you. Uh, We are, are praying that God continue to work in your heart through His Word over the course of this week and then the ministry on Sunday as well. And we hope you join us again next week for the podcast as we'll be exploring a little bit of why Kings and Chronicles in the Bible. Isn't that redundant? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.